The reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. And if you needed copy, hard copy of the Bible is now being handed out. Raise your hands if you need any copies. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you recognize them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, James. If you can keep your Bibles open to chapter 7, verses 13 through 20, that would be great. Um, Jesus, as he's ending the Sermon on the Mount, he drives home uh, tough messages in the end. So it's a tough message, it's a tough passage, um, so let's pray that God will speak to us through it. Lord, we thank you for these words, uh, that these are words of life, that you have the words of life. And so, Lord, we pray that it will come to it humbly, that we'll listen to your voice humbly, uh, that we might choose life, and we might follow you in the narrow path. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you, ha- you have a favorite hike in uh, Hong Kong. Mine is... Whoa. <laughs> Mine is the Mount San hike, and it's accessible uh, to many people because there are actually many, many different paths in the Mount San, right? So there is a family-friendly one, there is a little bit of a harder one, there is even one that says do not enter, although I always get the mixed message because it says do not enter, but then there is a rope where you can grab and go up. And you can start from many different places. You can start from Sai Kung and Lion Rock or Mount San. There are many paths to the top of the mountain. And that's, of course, how many people think of religion and God, that many paths uh, lead to the same God at the top. It doesn't really matter which road you're on, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or Christianity. You don't want to be involved in some sort of a cult because that's weird. But, you know, these tried and tested religions, they say, well, they all lead you to be a good person. Uh, They all lead you to the same God, many roads to one God. And Jesus says, that's not true. He says there are two roads, two destinations, and two crowds. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and the broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. There are only two roads, one narrow and one broad. 
and they don't lead to the same destination. One leads to life, and the other one leads to destruction. There are only two crowds, which means everyone in the world is on one of these roads. You know people who say that they're not on any spiritual paths, right? They say, I'm not religious. I think I kind of think that there might be God, but um, I'm not sure about it. I can't commit. I can't commit to a single religion. Well, Jesus says, they're on the broad road. Those who say that there are many paths to the same God, they're on the broad road. Atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, I hate to say it, but they're on the broad road to destruction. There are only two roads, two crowds, and two destinations. And I know that sounds incredibly arrogant, incredibly uh, um, exclusive, and it gives me no joy in some ways to say this, but friends, that is what Jesus is saying. There's the path of Jesus, and that there's everybody, everything else. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will later say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. I know that some fear that having this view will make us, uh, make, make Christians seem self-righteous and superior to other people. They say that this will lead to intolerance. But that's far from the truth. Because of the nature of Jesus and nature of Christianity, because as for sense of, uh, sense of superiority, Christians are the, are the ones who believe that everybody's, everybody's sinner, that we're one beggar who's found bread, who just wants to tell other people where to find bread. We're all sinners saved by the grace of Christ. There's no room for self-righteousness or sense of superiority. Neither is there room for social intolerance. Not only are we saved by, by, by grace, we're all sinners. Not only that, but we're supposed to be people who follow the king who died for his enemies. We're taught to forgive. We're taught to love our enemies, turn the other cheek. We're taught to pray for those who persecute us. We're a people who are to love indiscriminately everyone around us. Seeking this narrow path should make us tolerant. It should make us loving. It should embrace. It should make us people who embrace all kinds of people. A Christian cannot be socially intolerant, but Jesus gives no choice but to be theologically intolerant. There are only two roads, two destinations, and two crowds. But having said that, Jesus isn't speaking primarily about other religions. I think he is talking about that, but also he, Jesus is talking to sort of Christians, isn't he? Because he's talking to people who are gathered to listen to him at the foot of a mountain, people who have taken the time out from their family, from their work, to listen to Jesus. They've come, they've made the effort to come to him. If he were talking um, today, the crowd would, would be maybe the mostly church-going people people who are good, people who are righteous, people who are religious. But the call is exactly the same. Enter through the narrow gate, the road that, that, that leads to life. Because Jesus knows that there are many people in the church, people who go to church every week, who are still on the broad road. 
He's calling the crowd to follow him, the narrow gate, the narrow road. To the religious people who are saying, who, who believe that murder is evil, he says, actually, it's not just murder. It's anger. Anger is equivalent to murder. To the righteous people who never considered adultery, he said that actually lustful thought is adultery. To those who do many good things, Jesus says, if you've done it for, for recognition from others, then you've received your reward already. To those who believe, who don't, do not believe, believe in repaying evil for evil, he says, love your enemies. You see, Jesus says, if we are to come to Jesus, we can't just call him Lord, Lord. We have to follow him. We have to go through the gate into the narrow path of discipleship. We need to live uh, the way that he lives. We need to leave our previous way of living and follow him as our Lord. He's talking about discipleship. He's talking about uh, a costly discipleship, not about cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this in a book called Cost of Discipleship. I've quoted this before, but I think it's worth quoting again. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. On the other hand, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which, uh, to, to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave his nets to follow him. Costly grace. I wonder what that means to you. I wonder what being a Christian means to you. I wonder if it's been easy. Does it feel like going through that broad road, which requires you nothing, which requires you to leave nothing, to be just as you are? Or does it feel narrow? The one that you have to squeeze through, one that, that, that forces you to leave things behind, the old way behind and go through the pain of transformation, becoming a new person in Christ? Are you on the road of following Jesus? Or do you live your daily lives your own way, calling Jesus Lord, Lord? Friends, that's, what, that's the decision that Jesus wants us to make. Choose Christ. Choose his way of living because that's what it means to be a Christian. And once we're on this road, things do look different, don't they? Someone asked a Japanese student um, in London who have recently converted, isn't Christianity so restrictive? Her answer was yes and no. Yes, it feels like putting up these fences. But inside of the fence is a garden garden where lovely things grow and outside of the garden seems so bleak and horrible i wouldn't i wouldn't want to be out there she answered yes it's restrictive right to commit to sexual purity to commit to one wife one husband 
but it's also truly liberating because that's how we're designed to live. Yet it's restricting to uh, be generous, to give away our possessions and not worry about what we will eat tomorrow, to trust God. But also, as we give away our money and as we choose uh, to trust in God, it frees us to live the life that we're meant to live. Yes, it's difficult to forgive people who have hurt us, who wronged us, insulted us, persecuted us. But when we do, we sense this freedom of this is how life is meant to be. We find Jesus, his light, an easy yoke. Yes, it's difficult to continue to grow in holiness, continue to pursue his path. But there is freedom from bondage to sin. Freedom to live life as we're meant to live. Ultimately, that path leads to life, eternal life. And the other path leads to destruction, death. Friends, enter through the small gate. Follow Jesus on that narrow path because it leads to life. But many will distract you from it. Many will deceive you. Many will deter you from finding this path. And Jesus warns in verse 15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Of course, Jesus in his days were talking about Pharisees and Sadducees, people he called blind guides, whitewashed tombs, a brood of vipers. And also the New Testament warns of, almost every single book of the New Testament warns of false teachers, false prophets, false, uh, false apostles, or even antichrists. And there are those who added to the grace of God, those who advocated for Jewish myths, um, those who uh, denied even Jesus being fully God and fully human. And even now, there are many, many deceivers who muddled the gospel of Christ, who want to lead you astray. And the telltale sign of a deceiver, a false prophet, is one who never preaches about the narrow road, about how difficult the life as a Christian is. They don't challenge you. They don't uh, make you uncomfortable in any way. Take, for example, the gospel of prosperity. They promise health and wealth, but there is no call to follow Jesus in the narrow path. When Jesus calls people to go through the narrow gate, narrow, uh, small gate, narrow path, they talk of private jets and business successes. Even those who are outside of the church recognize that actually that they don't follow Jesus. They're God's mammon, money, and success. I think the subtler version of this is the preaching of therapeutic gospel, gospel of self-help. In this version, everything is still about you. You are the king of the universe, and God is supposed to help you, help you to have a better job, have better marriage, better life. You are still the king of your own world. And it's a popular message, isn't it? Isn't that why some of the televangelists have, so, have been so successful? Because they promise the possibility of your best life now. It's never in the end. It's never when Jesus comes back. It's your best life now. Some also preach. Uh, they never preach judgment because it makes people uncomfortable. It's always about love 
But it's never about judgment that's coming. Muddling the gospel. When God's word proclaims judgment against acting on homosexual desires, they say, it's fine. Even when Jesus talks about hell and destruction, more than any other people in the Bible, more than Paul, more than Peter, they never talk about hell. The false teachers deceive people by saying that love will in, win in the end. We've already mentioned briefly about those who also deny that there is only one way, that all roads, they say that all roads lead to the same God. Ludwig Feuerbach was the father of liberal Christianity. He wrote, a book, he wrote the book on it called Essence of Christianity, in which he argued basically that the essence of Christianity is shared by many other religions saying that actually all religions are pretty much the same. It's, it leads to the same God. And it's been like this for ages. False prophets are not something that's new. 2,600 years ago, Jeremiah uh, preached God's judgment. He said that judgment is coming. He was preaching the narrow path. He said people should repent and turn to God. But actually, there were false prophets who declared everything is fine. This is, what they, uh, this is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6, 13 and 14. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. It sounds so loving, doesn't it? To say there is peace, that you don't need to change, that God loves you just as you are, that it requires nothing from you to preach no judgment, no hell, no repentance. Watch out for false prophets. These deceivers, one who never preached the narrow gate, narrow road, small gate, the uncomfortable way, the gospel that has lost its prickliness is no gospel at all. They sound harmless, even loving, like bleeding of a sheep, but actually they are cries of ferocious wolves. But you might ask, well, how is it? I mean, there's so many different teachers out there, so many different voices and prophets. How are we supposed to know? How are we supposed to find out who to listen to? There's so many denominations, interpretations of the Bible, so many churches. So some say, well, look for sincerity. People who seem really sincere. People who seem to want to do the right thing. Um, uh, people say things like, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you really believe it. But I want to say, sincerity has nothing to do with it. Right? People are sincerely wrong all the time. I'm, I'm sincerely, ask Mary, I'm sincerely wrong about many things. I could sincerely believe that bus 811, nope. uh, bus 811 could make me, uh, take me all the way to Shatin, but it might go, it, 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 it will take me to Maunzan the other way. So Jesus gives uh, a couple of ways to evaluate the prophets. Uh, these people who claim to speak God's word to his people. Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Grapes don't come out of thorn bushes. You can't pick a fig from thistles. Good trees produce good fruits. Broadly speaking, I think there are two fruits to look for. Christ-like character and also Christ's teaching by their fruit. Uh, often the Bible means Christ-like character, right? You should be suspicious, rightly, of people who talk like Jesus but who are not, nothing like Jesus. 
They don't act like him. I tremble as I say this because I know that I am unlike Jesus in many, many ways. And Apostle James wrote that teachers should tremble because they will be judged more harshly and you should judge them more harshly as well. And this is something that to look for from people who claim to speak God's word to people. And we've seen his standards, right? We should ask, do their lives reflect the Beatitudes, the characters in the Beatitudes? Are they poor in spirit? Are they mourning? Are they mourning their sins? Are they meek and hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Are they merciful, pure in heart? Are they peacemakers? Are they taking the Sermon on the Mount seriously? Are they seeking to live that narrow path? Are they striving to follow Jesus? Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. If they remain in Christ, they will bear these fruit and you are to look for them. And I'm sure you've known missionaries and pastors and teachers who, who have this aroma of Christ. Their authority comes from who they are because they are so Christ-like. You want to listen to them. Look for people like that. Look for people who are Christ-like. But character can't be the only fruit that Jesus is talking about because there are many people out there who seem to be really good, right? Many Mormons who surpass our righteousness. The other fruit to look for is their teaching. Whether they teach what Jesus taught, whether they teach what the Bible teaches, or they've added something else. This is hinted in the parallel passage. So Matthew preaches the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, there's a parallel passage. If you have your Bibles, um, open up to Luke chapter 6, verse 43. It's on page 837 of the church Bibles. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. You can see there that this is exactly the same passage. It's the Sermon on the Plain. He just talks about, he just talked about the good fruit, right? Look for these good fruits, good and bad fruit. But if you scan down in that section all the way down to verse 45, this is how Jesus ends this section. For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. It talks about what they speak of, what they teach, because what they, what's in them is what they will teach. And the true prophets are to teach what they were taught, which is the Word of God. Now, for example, Paul in Titus, to Titus, he writes to Titus, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Right? You are... That the message has been given to you, hold, tr- uh, hold uh, firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. They, Titus wasn't to invent new things. He's not supposed to add new things to it, but to teach the message as it was given to him. Christians are basically conservative in this regard. We teach the message of the Bible, message of the apostles and the prophets of the first century. Because why should we listen to somebody teaching from their own wisdom? You know, you are wise in many ways. You have your own thoughts. Why should we listen to their thoughts about God? When God has revealed himself in the scripture, when he says, this is my word, go to it. In fact, the New Testament constantly brings these two things together, these two fruits, the character and the doctrine. Many of Paul's letters Right? In Ephesians, Colossians, start out with the doctrine, then it ends 
with uh, how you are to live in, in the light of it. Paul tells Timothy's protege pastor, watch your life and doctrine closely together. Per- persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and doctrine closely. It's supposed to be both. It's not one or the other. Watch their life. Watch what they teach. I visited Michael, um, the one who runs our PA team. Uh, he's just had a surgery. His Achilles heel, um, it snapped, the tendon snapped, and so they hit a, hit a surgery to uh, retie them. But when the doctor told him what the surgery was, you know, what would you do if you are about to have a surgery? What, what would you do? Many people these days go to Google. Right? You want to find out everything about the surgery. You want to go, well, what are they going to do? What, are, uh, it, it, what should they do? What shouldn't they do? This is what we all do. And that's because we care about our physical health. But actually, when it comes to our spiritual health, we often blindly just follow whoever is in the front. When actually, much more is at stake. Our eternal life, eternal health, spiritual health is at stake. Are we checking the Bible? Are we going to it? Are we studying up on these things? This is why we run this course, uh, Reading the Bible one, uh, 101. Do join it. Find out how to read the Bible, how to read the Old Testament. Get together with others in small groups in one-to-ones. This is why I ask you to t- t- take out the Bible as we go through it in the sermon because we want to teach what the Bible teaches for, for it is uh, the Word of God. Call to discern is not, to ma- not made just a few of us. It is made for all of you. You are, you are supposed to be able to discern what Christ-like character looks like. When you see somebody who is Christ-like, right, you're supposed to go, yes, that's what, that's what it's supposed to look like. When you see teaching that points to Christ, you're supposed to be able to tell whether that's of Christ. What's that, whether that's from the Bible or, or that's from somewhere else. Friends, discern carefully. Be a Christian who can recognize these things. Christ-likeness from imposters. Uh, continue the learning so you can discern whether somebody is teaching the false things. And don't be deceived. There are many false prophets. And be especially wary of people who never point to Jesus as the small gate, the narrow path. The gate is small, narrow is the road, but decide each day to follow Jesus, to follow the way of Christ, because that's the way that leads to life now and the eternal life that's to come. Let's pray.